but I'm Josh, a lot of you may know me, um, but this is only my second time preaching here, so if I look unfamiliar, that's why. Uh, <laughs> uh, the last time I was here, I preached about, uh, kind of a message about our connect groups, because I kind of came in and have been working with our connect groups for the last six-ish months. And so part of what I'm going to do is give an update on kind of what's going on in our connect groups, and then I'm going to talk about um, reaching our world which is really applicable based on, you know, our missions team that's, you know, they're overseas doing it, um, but we can do it right here too. So the first thing is our connect groups. Um, I have been amazed to see what's all going on in our connect groups. So we, as a church, about 350 people call Portview their home, and about 200-ish people are here on a normal Sunday. So of the total amount of people would say Portview's my home, about a quarter of us, so 25% of us, all attend connect groups or are involved in connect groups. Now, of those of us that are like here a lot, that's half of us are in connect groups doing stuff. I would love to see that be 100%, but I know, you know, lives are busy and people have other things going on. Um, the biggest thing that I could ask from you guys is I need leaders. So if any of you are saying, I'm interested in leading a connect group or I'm in a connect group and I think, you know, we're at a spot where maybe we could um, split the group and, and grow in a different way, I need you. I'm like the Uncle Sam poster. I need you. Um, <laughs> because that's the biggest problem we have is that we've got a lot of people who are coming in and saying, I want to get plugged in somewhere. And we're trying to get them plugged in, but we don't have a specific spot for them because groups are getting too big, uh, which is a good problem to have. So I'm happy. You guys are doing awesome. Um, and I'm really excited to see what this next year has for our Connect groups, uh, for our church as a whole. Amen, right? It's been an awesome service so far. I've been absolutely blessed to be here. Uh, I've been very thankful just for you guys and for our worship time. Um, so we're going to be talking about changing your world or reaching our world. And this is a topic that's not like, it's not new to any of us, right? Kind of in the, in the church world, this is a big deal, right? Reaching our world, reaching our neighbors, reaching our friends and family. And as I was going through some of my old notes that I had, I used to write everything down in a journal and, a, and take notes on everything. Um, I found a, a section of time where I was really looking at this topic and at this specific set of, uh, section of scripture that we're going to be going through today. And I had it dated July 1st, 2015. So I've been processing through this section of scripture for a long time um, and trying to really see what God had for me in that section of scripture because it spoke to me initially. And in the years since, it's just grown um, in its importance to my view of how, how God wants to use us to reach our, our community and our friends and our families. So... Um, I think this is a question worth, at, worth asking, you know, you know, how does God want to use me? How can I be used by God? Because we play a huge role in this, that we believe God, if, if God's drawing those to him who he's going to call to him, but then we play a role in saying, you know, come to church with me. You know, what's going on in your life? How can I minister to you? Um, and having those conversations and being the hands of Christ. Like, that's a privilege. We get to do something that not everybody gets to do. Um, so this should be something we're excited about. Um, so we're going to look at an example of a guy in Scripture who did an excellent job of this. He's a great example. And I was going to use Jesus, but I feel like we as people use a, a cop-out when we use Christ as our example. We, well, he's God, right? Of course he could do it. He was Jesus. He was, you know, fully man, but also fully, Christ, fully God. So, so that really doesn't count. So we're going to use Paul. Um, so who was Paul, right? Paul was a dedicated Jew. So dedicated that he actually hated the early church because he was so dedicated to the old laws that he was, he was taught he had to follow in order to be close to God. He was so dedicated to that life that he hated the church because he thought that they were um, 
they were harming that, that belief. Um, he has this life-changing experience where he's, uh, he's, he really experiences who God is through this miracle where he, he, he finds out you know, Jesus Christ really was the Son of God and it changes his life. and He becomes this sold-out apostle. But really what he does is he, he goes around and plants churches. And so he plants about 20 churches in this area um, like around the Mediterranean Sea. And it completely changes the world, because that was the early world, right? Most of it was right around that area. So he completely changes the world. And the reason that he was so effective in this ministry is because he was undeniably great at reaching people. So we're going to look at one of his success stories. He's got a lot of books written in the New Testament, and a lot of them are correcting the churches that he's writing back to. He's like, guys, I told you to love Jesus, and you're hating each other. Or, you know, you're in this sin, or there's, you know, there's division, whatever it may be. And so he's writing to them, correcting them. But the, um, the Philippian church is kind of the opposite. So we see this book where Paul is writing back to these, these friends of his, really. And it's referred to as the book of joy. So it mentions joy 16 times in this book, if you read it. Um, it's because Paul's writing to, to essentially his family. He helped lead a lot of these people to Christ. He helped found this church. Um, he's responding to a, letter, a gift he had received from them. So they had sent him something because they loved him so much and cared for him so much that they sent him something. The city of Philippi, where this church is, is a very prosperous city. It's a, a Roman city. Um, and we, we can tell this by the section of scripture we're going to read, that it's very well off. There's a lot of people there for commerce. There's a lot going on. right? And so the church is very influenced by that. And so they've got a wide variety of people. And so we're going to read a section out of Acts 16, read verse 11 through 40. And what we're going to be doing is looking at the way Paul makes his entrance into Philippi, right? So the, the section we're reading is how the church in Philippi started. Um, it's his very first trip there. And so there's going to be three different interactions we're going to see between Paul and a couple people. So I want you guys to pay attention to these three different people, how different they are, and how his approach is different in ministering to them. This is kind of a long section. I apologize. I will try to read clearly. (laughs) All right, so Acts 16, verse 11 through 40. And I'm going to butcher some city names. I apologize for that. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight through Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath... We went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak with the woman who had gathered there. One of those, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. This is the first interaction. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, Come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave, this is interaction number two, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. 
When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The jailer is interaction number three. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all those in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas can be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, and now, do, they, and now do they want to get rid of us so quietly? No. Let them, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting that they leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Talk about an entrance into a city, right? <laughs> I come in, I try to lay low, I find out where the nearest you know, grocery store is, maybe, you know, some, you know, they're just like, nope, we're finding all the people, we're going to jail, we're knocking the walls down. They just did it all. Um, so these three interactions that we see, let's talk about the people involved in them. So the first one, her name is Lydia. Now, Lydia, it says she's from a city called Theatria, which is a Greek city, so she's a Greek woman. Um, it says she's a dealer in purple cloth. And so, like we said, Philippi, the city, is a, a city where a lot of trade took place. So she's like a modern-day fashion designer, like clothes saleswoman, right? So she's a fashionista. Um, and, and purple's royal, so she's the, the royal fashionista. Um, we know, based on the context of talking about her, that she had some money. So she was wealthy. Um, she's Greek. Uh, so, and she was actively seeking God. So she has some background in, you know, the Jewish faith. The second interaction is the slave girl. And so we don't really know where the slave girl is from. All we know is that she's possessed by a spirit and that she's being, she's enslaved to make money. So she's being extorted essentially to, um, for the profit of her owners. And then the third interaction is the jailer. So the jailer is a Roman. He's uh, a middle-class guy, right? He's not royalty. He's not just a regular guy. He's like a Roman soldier um, who's running this jail. So he's a, a middle-class, hard-working guy uh, that's just doing his job. And he's so dedicated to his job, he's willing to kill himself over it, as we see in the story, which is, you know, it's pretty significant to say. Um, 
But what do all three of these have in common? The answer is nothing, really. Um, They're incredibly diverse. So we see men and we see women. We see Greek and we see Roman. We see high class, middle class, and the enslaved. And so the cool thing about this section of scripture is that it's inclusive, right? This is Paul ministering to every people group. It's saying it's not about being, you know, Greek or Roman. It's not about being Jew or Gentile. It's not about being um, a man or a woman. It's not about being rich or poor. It's about seeing the need for Christ in somebody's life, no matter where they're at, and being able to reach them at that spot. And so Paul has a method in reaching people that I think we can all learn from. And he sums it up really well in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. So I'm going to read that, and then we're going to talk a little more specifically about how, um, how he reached each of these people. So Paul says in verse 19, Though I am free to belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessings. So how did he do it? He identified with each of these people and the place that they were at in a way that would minister to them appropriately. And so we see three specific ways that he did this in these three different interactions. So Lydia, the fashionista, um, we see that she's seeking God, right? She's at a place of prayer. She's already interested in something spiritual. She's probably well-educated. She's wealthy. And Paul presents the gospel to her. He doesn't come out with, you know, a miracle. He doesn't, um, he, he really doesn't have a, a, a relationship with her where he could have built a rapport where she's like, I saw a difference in your life. What he does is he uses intellect. He says, I know God's word. And because of that, I can share with you the reality of Christ. And he tells her this story or, t- or tells her the truth of Christ. And she's persuaded by that truth. So he, he used intellect. And that's the first strategy he uses with Lydia. With the slave girl, it looks a little different. Have you ever heard of somebody becoming so annoyed with a spirit that he casts it out? Like, that just blows my mind, that whole section. Um, But she's enslaved. Not only is she enslaved physically, but she's enslaved spiritually, right? And so during this interaction, we see Paul sets her free um, spiritually. And it takes a miracle to do that, that he he casts out a demon. Um, We also see an example of a miracle in the jailer. Um, although it it looks a little bit different. So we're going to kind of focus this miracle aspect on the slave girl. That she only gets to experience freedom because of a miracle. And that she doesn't experience, she would not experience God in the same way if it were not for something miraculous happening. So that's the second method, is the miraculous. And the third example we're going to use is the jailer. Now the jailer, he saw a miracle, right? He sees Paul and Silas praying and worshiping and this earthquake happened and the chains fall off and the walls fall down, right? That's an awesome miracle. But it wouldn't have been enough for him. After that miracle happened, he was ready to take his own life. He was saying, oh, I, I failed, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be killed, I'm just going to take my life now and, and, and end it. 
But he sees Paul and Silas standing there saying, I'm going to use my own life as an example to show you you're worth something, that you have value, that I value you above my own freedom, that you're the one that matters in this situation. And he sees this, and he, he takes a step back and says, oh my goodness, what do I need to do to be like you, to be saved, to have what, you have something I don't have, you have Christ, and I know that that's what I want. And so they set an example through their own lives that the jailer is able to look at, identify with, and learn from. And this section of scripture, these strategies aren't isolated. Um, Paul in the church in Ephesus, when he comes into that city, he goes in the synagogue and uh, uses scripture to explain the truth of Christ. They hate him for it, but that's one of his strategies when he goes in. He goes in and says, this is what you've been told. These are the Old Testament scriptures. This is how Jesus is a fulfillment of those scriptures. It's using intellect. Um, his ministry was full of the miraculous. That it says that in Ephesus, again, his handkerchiefs were so valued because um, just anything he touched would allow people to be healed. That the presence of God was so strong with him that there was healing just in the, you know, in the handkerchiefs and the little things that he had. So people saw a difference because of the miraculous things he was doing and experienced God because of those miracles. Um, we see an example of, of him living his life as an example for others in Corinthians. And this is another excellent section of scripture. Uh, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Use me as your example, as this example for Christ, um, and watch me do it and learn from me. So that's, that's his third method, is being an example. Um, ironically, Paul did not have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? This, this gospel to look at when he was learning these things. But Matthew is written in a way that uses logic because it's written for the Jewish people. It's saying you have this background in what the law has told you, but I'm going to tell you what Jesus did to fulfill those things. Mark is written for the Roman people as its primary audience, and they use Jesus as this example that the Roman people could look at Jesus and say, that's somebody that I can identify with and I can respect and I can see that he set this example for me to learn from. And Luke is written for the Greeks. And the Greeks say, I've, they, they want to see the spiritual aspect. So it emphasizes the spiritual part. So again, we see these three different methods. The, the use of intellect, the use of the miraculous, and the use of our lives as an example. Right? So he's not keeping this a secret. This is like pretty consistent through all of scripture. But what does it mean for us? right? And, and how in the world um, do we use these three strategies in our life? Well, I would say that these are, there's three things we can do, and it's three things that we can do each and every day just to remind ourselves, and they're pretty simple. But the first thing we can do, it relates to intellect, is to know God's word. Right? Being in the word is incredibly important. We're told to be ready to give an account for the hope that we have at any time. So when you have an interaction with somebody who has questions or says, oh, I know a little bit, little bit about God, we should be ready to you know, to give them an answer and say, this is what I believe. You know, based on the Bible, this is who God really is. This is who Jesus really is. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to be a Bible scholar. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers and know every scripture. But it does mean that we have to put, put effort into saying, I'm going to, to value this. And I'm going to put effort into learning it. Um, and I think the biggest reason is it accu- accurately represents Christ, right? That, that this is his word. And what better, can I, better thing can I use than this to explain who he is to somebody else? So that would be the first thing, is to know God's word. 
The second thing is to be filled with God's power, and this relates to the miraculous that we see um, change the slave girl, right? And I think a better understanding of this is to understand that as Christians, we are already filled with God's power. That the moment I say, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior, he's right there. That he's saying, I've, I've come into your life. And I, you know, he said, we'll do even greater things than he did. Um, that, that his power is inside of us. The power that overcame death lives in me and lives in you. And so this is something that I think we, we kind of ignore sometimes. And so asking God and saying, God, you know, even though I don't feel like it, even though I'm not, I don't feel like I'm powerful right now, and though I don't feel like I can identify with your power, God, help me to identify with you. Help me to, to identify with the Christ who overcame death. And also, look for opportunities where God is presenting um, an opportunity for you to, to use this, whether it's through prophecy or a miracle or whatever it may be. Um, the, the Bible is very clear that there are gifts of the Spirit that we that are there for us to use, whether it's encouragement. Um, it, it doesn't always look like you know some big scary things. A lot of times, it's just a, a, a correctly timed word to say. You know, I really think God wants me to say this to you right now. It's calling your friend when you're like, oh, I have this voice in the back of my head that's saying maybe you need to call them. And you're like, Hey, how are you doing? And they're like, You're terrible. You know, you know, I just lost my job, or you know, I'm just I'm really down right now. And being able to say, you know, God wanted me to call you and have this conversation with you. And they're saying, you know, if it wasn't for God telling you this, you wouldn't have known it. Um, so asking and looking for opportunities. And number three is to live a life that others notice. So the jailer saw a difference in Paul and Silas. And I don't, I don't want to make it seem like it's all about our actions, right? It's not that I have to be perfect every time to be a Christian. It's that... Others look at me and look at you as an example of who Christ is if we profess to be Christians. And so if somebody's looking at me and saying, oh, you know, Josh is, you know, he's just a really bad person. He's always angry. He, him and his wife don't get along. He yells at his kids all the time, which Callie makes it easy if I'm being honest. She is wild. <laughs> you know, they're going to look and be like, that's an angry guy. I don't want to be like that. That's not what I want them to see, right? I want them to see the Paul and Silas, who at the worst times in their life are saying, you know, I want God above all else because I know that, I know that you're in control. And I also think it's important to, to look at all three of these together, right? So we can go into an interaction with somebody we're trying to reach and say, oh, well, I have to use the intellect strategy or I have to use the uh, miracle strategy. And that's not what I'm trying to say. I want to try to clarify that, that this is about being a well-rounded Christian or a, well, a well-rounded minister, <laughs> right? Um, I, was, I was raised being told every single day, that not every day, most days, that I was a missionary from the time I was like eight years old, right? And this was before, um, before we lived in missions and did all of that. This was when I, we lived in Grafton. I just remember my dad telling me, you're a missionary today. Like, as you go to school, you're a missionary as you go to, and as I grew up, as I go to work, I'm a missionary. As I go to, you know, as I was in college, as I was in the military, like all these things, like I was a missionary in those places. And you realize that as a missionary, like we saw in Paul, like not everybody needs the same thing. And so being able to go into a relationship with somebody and say, it's not about me trying to change you in a way that I feel I need to change you. It's about me being there for you. 
And it's about me loving you. And it's about me using my intellect, God's power, and the example of my own life to try to show you that God is powerful and that there's a potential for you to have a relationship with a God who loves you above all else. And that's the goal with all of these things. That it's not about saying, oh, I've got I've to justify this or I've got to outwit you in, in my intellect, right? Um, that that's not what it's all about. So the last thing um, that I want to do is to read a description that Paul gives of himself. And this is Philippians 3, 5 through 14. It says this. If somebody else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This scripture shows us that Paul was just like us, right? He might have had some things to boast about. He's saying, you know, I, I, was a, I followed the law to a T. Like, that's awesome. I don't follow the law to a T. I'm not perfect. But Paul's saying all of, that's, all of that is garbage compared to what I have found in Christ, to the love that, that God has given me. And because of that, in light of that, I'm going to live my life in a different way to try to minister to those around me and to try to change the world around me. So my hope today is that we take these three things, right? We, we say, I can know God's word by being in the word. I can be filled with God's power. I am filled with God's power, and I'm going to ask him to use it. And I'm going to live a life that, that others notice because God is real in my life. And we're going to do something about it. That it's going to be more, about, more than something we just talk about doing. That it would be something that, that we would take seriously. That we'd say, my friends, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, like they matter enough to do these things. Um, as me and Sam were kind of talking about this message, because I kept practicing it with her, she had to suffer through it a number of times. <laughs> it really came down to, like, these are things that a lot of us know, and they seem really simple. These are things that it, it's not anything new. It just comes down to us to say, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do it. Similarly, um, our choice to follow Christ is, is the same way, right? So you may be here, and this might be the first time that you've heard, you know, that, there's, that Jesus came and died for your sins. If you're here, and this is the first time, take a minute if you want to and say, God, Christ, I want you to come into my life. 
that this is something I want to be serious about, that I don't just want to hear about it from my parents or my friends or whoever it may be, that this is something I want for myself. And if you're doing that today, I would encourage you to tell somebody who's also a Christian that you know to be a Christian uh, before the day is over. You know, the idea that a a three-stranded cord is not easily broken is true. That it's really hard to be a Christian on your own because a lot of times we don't have the the consistency to, to keep us directed in the right ways. That's why I love connect groups so much. I'm going to do a plug endlessly for connect groups because I love them and I think they're valuable. Um, but to end today, I'm just going to pray. And, and essentially what I'm going to pray is that we would take this seriously, right? And so we could just, you guys want to stand with me? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, I want to pray that as we've talked about uh, this example that you showed us, and through Paul, uh, how to live a life to change those around us, to change our city, to change our, to change our world, God, that this would be something that we would, that we would take seriously. So Lord, we thank you for the, the gift you've given us of your spirit that empowers us to do these things. We thank you for your word that gives us the knowledge we need that changes our lives and the lives of those around us. And God, we thank you that your, your reality has changed our, you know, our lives individually so much. So church, I just have a challenge for all of us. If today you're saying, you know what, this is something that's been important to me, but I really want to put another emphasis on reaching those around me, I just encourage you to put your hand up real quick. Lord, I thank you for each and every hand that's up right now. I thank you for the people who are willing to say, I want to do something about this. That I want to see my friends and my family and my kids and and everybody saved. That I want to see them come to know you. And as we move into this last couple minutes of service, I know I'm ending a little bit early. (laughs) Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to either ask God where, you know, where he's working in your life to say, you know, there's a certain person or there's a certain place that he's calling you to, to minister to because, you know, God has called us to certain people and called us to certain places. And without us playing that role of saying, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do it, it's not going to happen. He's going to use somebody else to do it and we'll miss out. Similarly to how our missionaries are, you know, going to Turkey and Tajikistan and Afghanistan, like, Port Washington needs God just as much and Sockville and Grafton and Cedarburg and Belgium needs God just as much. So take a moment as we end today to ask God where he's asking you, asking you to minister. And if you're here as a, a couple or here at, with a connect group, I encourage you guys to get together and pray together um, and, and ask God the same thing. What is he calling you to? So Lord, once again, we thank you just for the blessing that you've been to us today. We once again pray for our missions team, that you would keep them healthy, that you would give them the right words to say, that your spirit would be with them. Bless the rest of our day.